we know that freedom isn't free. And that some people were willing to give their lives that we could have freedom even here today as we worship. And so it's important for us to pause before the Lord and thank the Lord for those who are willing to sacrifice for us. So I want to give just a moment uh, of quiet reflection and prayer, silent prayer, and then I'll pray and we're going to be in Romans chapter 7 together. Lord God, we are a thankful people. We're thankful for those who are willing to give their lives that we could have freedom. And of course, that reminds us of the fact that you too gave your life that we could have freedom. And so, Lord, in all things, we remember you and we reflect on the incredible mercies and grace that you've given to us. And even today, as uh, we celebrate this Memorial Day weekend, uh, we, we are remembering those who are willing to give that ultimate sacrifice, remembering the Lord's words that no greater love has anyone than that they would lay down their lives. And so, Lord, we, we come humbled and thankful for this. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if you're like me or not, but when I go on trips, I pack a lot. Do you have multiple suitcases that you pack along with you? Do you ever go on a trip, get there and go, what did I do? I have way more than I need. Anybody? I'm the only one here. Okay. All right, there are a few of us. Great. Uh, that's the reality that oftentimes we pack more than we need. And in this luggage that we pack more, it slows us down. People have to wait on us. We're, uh, we're not able to move through airports as quickly or as easily as we would like to, and so on and so on. Why do I bring that up? Because many of us have unneeded baggage. And my hope today is that we would get rid of that baggage, that we would let the Lord do what only the Lord can do in this place and in our hearts, and that's to get rid of some unneeded baggage. We're going to flesh that out quite literally in a few moments, but as we do, I would encourage you to go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, as you're turning there, I want to share a couple of things. We started with an illustration of a marriage and identifying that we're under this contract, as it were, and that the contract that we're under is somewhat like the contract of marriage and that the only way out of that contract is death. Well, that's a hard contingency, right? But Paul tells us that actually we die to sin and death and live towards Christ, and so that contingency is valid and that we can go from being under the curse of the law to under the freedom in Christ. We can be under a different contract, as it were. And so as we pick up this next section of the scriptures, there are some theologians that have wrestled with this and said, hmm, who is Paul talking to in this section? Or talking about, rather. Is he talking about the the pre-Christian, what life was like before Christ? Or is he talking about the carnal Christian, the, the person who, eh, they know what's right, but they do what's wrong? Or is there something else? And so theologians have wrestled with the passage that we're going to be talking about in a few moments. There are some things that I would like to note about it. One thing is this. 
Through verse 13, it's past tense. From 14 on, it's present tense. And so Paul seems to be talking about current struggles that he has in his walk with Christ. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for any time, you know that this is true. That there are times when our flesh cries out and we don't get victories. And there are other times where we are able to die to ourselves and live in Christ and we get victories. And that those places are places of tension. And they're real places. And that's one of the reasons that I love the Word of God like I do because it's real. And it it helps us to deal with reality. There are spiritual truths that we can walk in, principles that we can follow, and there are uh, tensions that we live within. And we see that today. As we go into this, I, I, I want to help clarify a couple of phrases, some phrases that we've used in the past, some theological terms that I, I want you to be aware of and understand before we jump into this passage. Three that we've dealt with relatively recently, justification, sanctification, and glorification, identified here. Justification is to be declared or considered righteous before God. God declares us righteous. Sanctification is a little bit different. It's in the present tense. It's the lifelong process of being sanctified. That is, of becoming more holy. Sanctification and it's my belief, it's my understanding that that's what Paul is dealing with in this passage uh, that we'll be reading soon. And then there's glorification. It's the future event when we finally are perfected. We gain our perfection and glorified bodies. Like the way that it's spelled out, says it this way. As Christians, we were justified when we confessed Christ and believed We were declared righteous. I confess Jesus is my Savior. You're righteous. Okay. We are sanctified as we grow in holiness through the work of the Spirit. And we will someday be glorified when we are resurrected into eternal life. Justification is a one-time event. Sanctification is a process. And glorification is a future event. And the church said, amen. Amen, because it's true. Well, one theologian kind of fleshed this out even more. He said it this way. Believers are perfect as to their justification, but their sanctification is only begun. It's it's a progressive work. When they believed in Christ, they knew but very little of the fountain of corruption that dwells in them, period. Let let, let me just, I'm going to come back to this in just a second. I remember... Uh, I I grew up in a uh, Catholic church, just so you're aware of that, and I went to uh, confession the first time. And in confession, true story, the priest said, what are some sins that you've done? And I said, I really can't think of any. FYI, that's the wrong answer to a priest. (laughs) He walked me through a series of things that it turns out, yeah, I was guilty but I didn't know, and I thought I was pretty good. I say that because for the unregenerated person, we can live in that place. Yeah, I'm not so bad. I mean, compared to Hitler, I'm not so bad. Well, Hitler's not our standard, turns out. So the reality is uh, that, that 
uh, as we grow in Christ, we start to become more and more aware of our own imperfections, our own wants to not obey Christ. Uh, as we grow, we recognize those sorts of things are true. When they believed in Christ, they knew but very little of the fountain of corruption that dwells in them. When Christ made himself known to them as their Savior and the beloved of their soul, the carnal mind seemed to be dead. But they found out afterwards that it was not dead. In other words, there, even though we surrender to Christ, there is still a part of us that is flesh. So, some have experienced more soul trials after their conversion than when they were awakened to a sense of their lost condition. O wretched man that I am, is their cry till they are made perfect in holiness. But he that hath begun a good work in them will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's a good reminder that we're on a journey but Paul brings us to this place in the journey where he, he doesn't reveal exactly where he's going until the end. And so as we're reading it, we keep going, well, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like a believer. I mean, there, there are pieces where he says we're slaves to sin. How is a believer a slave to sin? I don't, I don't understand that. How is a believer a servant of sin? I don't understand that. Help me understand that. And so I want to give you some context. I'm going to go to uh, the end to help you with it. So verse 24 of Romans chapter 7 says it this way. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The term body of death there really gives a clue many theologians believe as to what Paul is talking about. And I would say once we see this in context, we, we actually go, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So in the ancient Roman world, in an area near Tarsus, there was a practice. What I'm about to tell you is going to sound very crass. It's going to sound... Uh, despicable. It's going to sound horrible. I recognize that. It's also the context that Paul is speaking in. So uh, we should bring that up. And this is what would happen. If someone was guilty of murder in that area, they would then shackle that person to the dead person to live it out. Virgil, uh, the author who lived prior to Jesus, he, he wrote on this matter, and he said it this way. The living and the dead at his command were coupled face to face and hand to hand till choked with stench and loathed embraces tied the lingering wretch pinned away and died, shackled to his victim eye to eye, hand to hand, waist to waist and foot to foot, the murderer still very much alive was forced to live out the remainder of his life directly bearing the weight and the putrefying stench of the dead body. In time, of course, the rotting flesh of the corpse would become rife and with disease, infecting the killer and leading to a most horrible and grisly end. That was the practice in ancient Rome, and it seems to be what Paul is referring to when he speaks of the flesh in this passage. So there will be a piece of this, the duality of the believer, in that their mind is being transformed, but they live in a world of flesh, and that their body is flesh. And there's constant tension and constant calibration. 
And Paul is going to be very honest and very clear about where he stands with things. This section is going to walk through three areas. We're going to see slavery to sin, specifically the flesh. The flesh. We're going to see how the flesh is servant to sin and how there's salvation from sin. Now, salvation is from the wrath of God. Let's be clear. One of the periphery issues, though, is sin. Sin and death. And the believer gets salvation from those things. They're saved from those things. So with that in mind, let's jump in. We're in Romans chapter 7. We'll start in verse 13 and walk through it together as we go. Keeping in mind, the question that we're wrestling with is what baggage have I been holding on to that needs to go? To say it more in a way that Paul seems to infer is what flesh am I tied to that is rotting and causing death to me? Let's look at the scripture. Slavery to sin is a matter of control. Did that which is good then bring death to me, speaking of the law? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the, command, through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Now we're going to go into present tense. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. That last phrase there, sold under sin, is where many theologians struggle and would say, actually, this is where Paul might be talking about the the pre-converted person. But most theologians would agree that this is actually the converted person, and this is a part of sanctification, and this is a part of the tension that believers walk in, recognizing that the law is spiritual. The Word of God is spiritual. It, ha- it, was, it was given to us by God. It is His Word. I believe that with all my heart. Do you? Yeah, absolutely. This is God's Word. It's spiritual. Yet, my body is flesh, and that's what he's saying. This is carnal. I I live in, in a world that is flesh. My body is carnal, and I have to deal with that. And this body is under sin. There is going to be a day when this body will be corrupted. It will literally die, unless the Lord returns before then. But this body will die. Your body will die. It is corrupt. It is under that. So he's he's giving the duality, he's showing us. And there's confusion for the believer. Paul says it this way. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Paul wrote a lot of the scriptures. Paul converted. Paul, the one who saw Jesus face to face. Paul, the leader of the early church says this, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. You ever been there? You ever wrestled with that very issue? I know better than that, and yet, that's what I did. I know better than that. I know that's not what God's word has for me. And the spiritual truth that has been given to me, I just, I'm not there. I keep, I keep messing it up. You ever been there? Maybe it's, Partly your flesh. Oh, if I could just have more of that thing. Oh, that person made me mad. If I just tell them what I think. All of those things lead us to this place. 
this place of tension. And very frankly, confusion. Because wouldn't it be great that once we ask Jesus into our lives, like everything is, I will easily make all of the right choices. I will easily follow Jesus. No matter what temptation comes my way, I got this in Christ. Wouldn't it be great if that was 100% the case? But it's not. So here's the complaint. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, I want to warn you here, uh, because it would be very easy to just use this as our excuse. Sorry, Mom, it's not that I meant to do that. That's sin in me. Sorry, honey, that I was sharp with you. That's just sin in me. And she's like, get it out. <laughs> right? You can maybe use it once or twice, but it gets old after that. But there is a reality. And the reality is that we walk in the flesh. That our, It's not just the world around us, but our flesh calls out a little bit more. Feel a little bit better. Make my point a little more clearly. Get my way this way. And there is sin that dwells within. Let's talk about the servant side. It's interesting because this issue of self just keeps coming up. You'll see it after this verse as well. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Speaking of the flesh, not talking about the spirit, speaking of the flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Remember, uh, even Jesus, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? When he's talking to his disciples, they don't make it through the night. Why? Well, the Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Same is true for us. And it's spelled out. And a big piece of this is just ourself, right? And self-sufficiency. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Look at how many times I comes up in this. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing self-sufficiency. And we, we see it a lot, even in Christianity. I mean, it, it is, it, it, it's a difficult thing. It's a default for all of us. I, I can just do this. I've even heard people in prayer requests say that we don't even have to trouble God with that. Like, God's going to be exhausted from, from us? Like, we could exhaust God? That's not how it works. In and of ourselves, though, we can't do it. We can fake it for a little while, um, but I can't love the way God calls me to love I can't forgive the way God calls me to forgive, not without his power. And that's what's pointed out here. My flesh is calling me to selfishness. Sin. Now, if I do not, if I, sorry, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And so we move from there, this place of slavery to sin, to salvation. Recognizing, again, salvation, just really clearly, is against the wrath of God. Ultimate separation from him. That's what we're saved from. Sin and death, that's, that's a byproduct of it. And that's what we see here. Recognizing that there is a desire that dwells within us. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I, I want to do it. There is this temptation that is getting the best of me right now. Jeremiah says it this way, our hearts are desperately wicked. Matthew 15 identifies that there is something that comes from the overflow of my heart that is bad. 
the default. And so we have these desires, and some of those desires aren't good, and those desires exist because we walk in the flesh. We are shackled to that rotting corpse, the flesh. But there is a delight. And this is where those who especially lean towards, this is the believer who's working through uh, holiness, sanctification. This is where they come. For I delight in the law of God. Nobody delights in the law of God except uh, those that have been regenerated, right? Uh, In my inner being. I delight in the law. I want to know his word. I want to understand what his perfect will is. I want to to get his standard. And when I fall short of that, I I need to address it. But I got to see it in his word. And his word is a delight to me. It's not a burden. I don't look at it and go, love God uh, love God with everything I have? No, man, I don't want to do that. Love my neighbors myself? Ugh, I don't want to do that. No, there's a delight here. Okay, God, you've loved me. I want to love you. You love me. I want to love others. There's a delight. But there's also a destruction because we are shackled to our flesh. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind. Keep that in mind. Mind. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, speaking of his body, his hands, his stomach, his his feet, his body. So he has this juxtaposition, this duality, this tension that occurs in his mind as spiritual. Remembering Romans chapter 12, it'll say there that uh, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that that, that 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 Uh, from our mind goes out to to cause a spiritual transformation. But he also identifies that we have flesh. We're shackled to that flesh, and that flesh causes sin. There is destruction to that, and we, we are in tension. And so we need delivered. Paul says it this way, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In Paul's day, Once someone was sentenced and that dead body was shackled to the living uh, person, they were going to die with that. No one was going to save them. Paul is putting the Romans in a position to ask the hard question, oh, if this flesh is like that rotting corpse and I am tied to it, who is going to save me? Like That sounds like hopelessness. But then he follows that up. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to Who's going to rescue me? God. Who delivers me? Jesus. He does. It's because of his work at the cross that we're set free. We're not bound by this always and forever. When we jump into chapter 8 next week, we're going to see that we're not under condemnation anymore. Though it is true that we live in this tension, we've been set free in Christ. And Paul uh, reminds us that there is deliverance from that in a way that couldn't happen in the Roman Empire. And so, how do we live in that place? How do we experience that? Well, this may be a really practical approach, but I appreciate practical approaches. And so, let's talk through some of these. One of those is spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. I want to highlight a few of those spiritual disciplines. Fasting is a great example of a way that we put our body under control where we say, you know, even though I'm hungry, 
Even though I really, really want to eat, God is more important to me. I need God more than I need food. Uh, God is the one who, who has given me life. He's the sustainer of life. And during this time, I am, I am seeking God beyond seeking food. I am not saying that you shouldn't eat ever. That's not what I mean. But there should be seasons of regular fasting. I would encourage you to seek out regular fasting. Uh, once a week may be a good practice. You say, well, I don't feel like it. Here's a hint. Nobody feels like not eating. Right? Okay? It, it's just a reality. But we're putting our body under control of the spirit to say, you know what, God, you have control in a way here that, uh, that I, I easily want to give up. I, I do. But I need to focus my attention on you. Fasting is one way to do that. Another great practice that I want to encourage you with is silence. Put it away. <laughs> Put the phones away. Turn the notifications off. Hide it. Go for a walk. Spend quiet time wherever you can, but an extended time where you're not listening to the radio. Um, you're, just, you're just in a place with you and God. A time of silence. A committed time. And watch and see what the Spirit starts to generate in you. Uh, what the Spirit starts to uh, speak into your own heart. Silence is a great spiritual discipline and a practice among believers. Also, memorizing the word. So many of you were a part of a thing called Core Discipleship. It was a program we started this past year on Monday nights. We met here in Shakopee, and people gathered around tables. There were about 120 people who did that throughout the year. We went through major doctrines of the Scripture. We talked on specific um, uh, specific characters of the Bible and, and how they interacted with some theological issues. And then we talked it through. But one of the things that we did weekly was memorize Scripture. It was fun because as, as we got responses from people who said, uh, we asked the question, what was one of the things you, that you really appreciated? I would say number one in the responses was memorizing Scripture. I reminded them, Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. It, it, it reminds us that uh, the spiritual discipline of memorizing is important because we delight in the law of the Lord. Finally, not making provision for the flesh. This is a difficult one. I share the, the story I'm about to share with you is a story that I have permission to share from a friend of mine. And this is what happened. He had been smoking for years and years. It had become an addiction, and it came at the cost of his family in terms of finances. So instead of spending money on groceries and things like that, he was spending money on cigarettes, and his family was going without. He was under conviction about that and came to me to tell me, I'm struggling with this. And I said, well, tell me about it. And first of all, he had to confess it, that this has become an idol in his life, and it's how he's dealing with things instead of going to the Lord. He's... He's uh, smoking. And he said, okay. So uh, I'm confessing that, and I need to do something about it. And I said, well, what do you think would help you to get victory? And this is what he said. Stop buying them. Stop buying cigarettes. That'll help. Yeah, turns out that'll help, because if they're laying around, he'll smoke them. So don't buy them. What's he doing? He's not making provision for the flesh. If it's not around, he can't do it. Well, Shouldn't he be in a place where they could be around and he could do it? Sure, but let's start small. <laughs> let's, 
one step at a time, and let's not make provision for the flesh. What is that for you? What is that for you? As the worship team comes out here in just a few moments, I want to transition our time for communion. And in doing so, I want to take our minds to some questions. The first question is, can you relate to Paul's statement, I do the very thing I hate? Here's why I ask that question first. I mean, I assume that that's true for you. But I think oftentimes we come to churches and, and we think everyone else has it together and we don't. Like, oh man, I wish I could be like that person. They really have it together. Mike, he's got it all together. I can't believe this guy. Right, Mike? But we realize that all of us have the same struggle. I do the very thing I ha- Is that true? Yeah. Three of us, it's true. Okay. <laughs> it's important for us to identify that tension. Two. What is an area of your life with which you struggle? What is an area? I, I really want to encourage you to narrow it down. Maybe that, maybe that area is a specific relationship. I'm struggling with this relationship. I just, oh, I need to get my way in this. That might be an identifier that something needs to be addressed. Maybe it's um, uh, overeating, as I mentioned last week. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's deception. What is that specific thing? I really want to encourage you to narrow it down and identify it. What do you think you've learned about yourself today? How have you seen yourself shackled to this rotting corpse? What is it that you're held to? What is it you're holding on to? What baggage do we need to get rid of for? How might you get victory in Christ? What is your next step of faith? As you consider those questions, I want to encourage you with communion now. We take time in our services to remember what Jesus has done. And that the the things that we talk about here are not divorced from this matter of communion, a practice that was established by Jesus himself who reminded his disciples that this is a new covenant. That he doesn't just take sin away, or that he doesn't just cover sin, but he takes it away rather. There's a walk that we have in Christ. And so we're called as believers to do that. So the first question is, are you a believer? Are you following the Lord? And the second, do we, have we examined our heart sufficiently and repented? Repentance is just one of those, uh, Lord, I'm sinning. This is not your way. I'm convinced and I'm turning and I'm going the other way. That's repentance. I'm going to God. And then... We encourage you to go to the carpeted areas, go to the, uh, the station that's nearest you, and then return to the outer areas. We do practice open communion here, meaning that if you have a relationship with Jesus, you are welcome to participate. Even if you're not a member of Friendship Church, you are a member of the body of Christ, and we respect that and appreciate that. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you, and we need you. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we want to get rid of some baggage today. And that baggage comes with the reality of rotting flesh that we're shackled to. That keep us in tension. Even more so when we don't give this over to you. So today, Lord, we're giving it over to you. Forgive us for 
the sins we've committed intentionally and unintentionally for things we've done and things we've left undone. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Help us to be obedient to you and your word for your glory. And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy name we pray.